Welcome to the third of three parts of this roundtable discussion with the faculty of the Educational Initiative, Challenges in Managing Acute Bleeding in Patients with Hemophilia. These podcasts were produced by ASHP Advantage and supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk, Inc. In part three, Dr. William Dager discusses the pharmacist's role in managing acute bleeding with hemophiliac patients with Dr. Serbi Pelkmus, who is Pharmacy Clinical Coordinator in Hematology at the University of Virginia Health System in Charlottesville. Hello, my name is Wayne Dager. Joining me today is Dr. Serbi Pelkmus. Welcome, Serbi. Thank you, Bill. I'm, I'm happy to be here today. Well, we've been looking at these challenges in managing acute bleeding in patients with hemophilia. This is an interesting issue that we face because the therapies are costly and we may be unfamiliar with how to approach their management. It may be infrequent in our practice. And of course, it's important that we do the right thing so we can manage the patient, but also make sure that what we're doing is a safe thing. So for pharmacists, I think it's important that we carefully glean what is uh, put together in a management plan and look at our role in uh, that process and assuring that we have maximized our efforts, uh, at the same time being cognizant that uh, cost could be an issue in trying to avoid things such as wastage of product factors uh, when not necessary. There's other issues like in making sure that the right factor was even ordered because sometimes someone may say, give me uh, factor eight, and then they really intended to have factor nine. So there's plenty of areas where misinterpretations can happen that create uh, a suboptimal care. So these are things that I think we need to think about. And so we're going to chat a little bit here about some of the things that pharmacists can consider uh, when managing these patients. When you get an initial order for a clotting factor, what goes through your mind to think whether this order is okay? There are many things that would, I would consider before I would go into verifying an order that has to do with factor products. So just like you mentioned, I would look to see if this factor product is for the intention to treat a patient with hemophilia or factor deficiency. Oftentimes, factor products are used for multiple reasons, so we want to get that clarity from the attending or the ordering provider as to what the intention to treat this patient with this factor product is. So communication with the ordering provider, resident, attending is very important. Oftentimes we do not, the attending uh, or the resident may not know why this is ordered or their attending told them to do so. So then we have to look at patient's previous history and look through their chart to see if they belong to hemophilia center where they have received treatment before and what the factor product was being, patient was being treated with. So those are some of the things that I would think about. At our institution, we do have patients that do go to our hemophilia center on the outpatient side will also come to our inpatient facility. So knowing what's happening with the patient is very clear to us. We can read the notes outpatient, we can read the notes inpatient. Oftentimes that is not so easy at other institutions. You might have to call the other institution where patients are getting treatment for hemophilia and obtain those records to then know where to begin. So I would consider looking at patients' previous clinical course before diving into verifying the order right away. And when you look at these orders, do you kind of assess uh, whether the potential order should be too much agent, too frequent? How would you think about uh, making sure that the correct dose has been ordered for the patient? So with hemophilia A patients who would possibly would be ordered factor eight product, 
they would have uh, the usual half-life of those products is 8 to 12 hours. So frequency of those orders would be to every 8 hours to every 12 hours. So we would want to think about that. If a patient's ordered a factor 9 product, which is for hemophilia B, we would want to now think about those have longer half-life, so maybe the order would be either Q12 or sometimes only just Q24 hours. So that would kind of give you an indication as to where to go. One of the most important things when before verifying an order for a factor product is that we need to know patient's factor levels. So we would want to know what the patient's previous factor level was, what their current factor level is to guide therapy to know what our desired factor level is for this order to help us figure out if the dose is accurate for this patient. Now when we have those, sometimes the word will be thrown out that they have inhibitors. And does that really have an impact on the dose that we might apply in this verification process or even what agent we might use? Correct. And um, that is a very frequent question that we get asked. And the way we know if we were told the patient has an inhibitor, we would want to now look at their inhibitor titer, whether it's a high inhibitor titer or low inhibitor titer. Oftentimes, if it's a low inhibitor titer, we might give patient more than what they usually get, a factor eight product, to try to see if we can manage the patient's bleeding. So if that is the case and we look at the factor, if Bethesda unit titer and it's low, we could give them that same factor eight product but at a higher dose. On the other side, if the inhibitor titer is high and that is not, we wouldn't give them factor eight again. Now at this time, we would think about the bypass agents, which is the activated prothrombin complex concentrate, which is FIBA, or the recombinant factor 7A, which is NOVA 7. So the therapy really depends on the patient's titer level, low versus high. And sometimes we can see these, like the factor 7, it's given more frequently every two hours in these situations. So intervals may be adjusted or changed when you have inhibitors present. I'm always kind of perplexed sometimes uh, as well when we have these patients and we're being asked to verify something uh, is, you know, they've already been on it. So here are we going to send out another dose? And what should we think about before we send out the next one to avoid wastage? And and I can think it's important to monitor the, the patient, what's going on. And one part is, for us as a pharmacist, is obviously making sure that what we send out is planned to be infused into the patient. But then if we want to get a better grasp of the bleeding, what kind of questions might we ask as far as how the patient's doing currently to determine whether we need to intervene or ask for additional assessment as to whether there's a need for changing the dose or the interval? Again, another very interesting question, and I think at this point you would want to check some of the monitoring parameters, such as what's the hemoglobin hematocrit, is patient bleeding, and if the patient in fact is bleeding, we would want to see from the last dose that we had given what the factor 8 level really rose to before we decide whether we continue the same dosage or we're really going to increase the dosage. So it really depends. The factor levels or factor assays really help guide us what dose to continue and how frequent to give it. And I think as pharmacists, we really do need to keep in mind that to avoid wastage of these products because they are very expensive. So keeping a very good communication with your hematology team or your heme consult team will help you guide and provide best therapy management and avoid um, extra cost for our patients. Okay, and you know, sometimes we also are working off of actual clotting factor levels 
You know, I've heard typically the number thrown around there for continuous infusions as such is trying to keep it between 80 and 100%. But also, I've learned that sometimes lower values, depending on the type of hemophilia, may be fine for the patient. And in other situations, maybe we can even require higher levels for a given period of time. But I've heard cutoffs as far as not uh, getting above percentages like 120% or such. Uh, with your time and experience, have you ever seen the need to kind of modify the range for a particular patient? And also, maybe you could enlighten us as far as when you'd have those clotting factor me- levels measured in a patient. What we typically do at our institution is after we've given a patient factor product, we would measure a level 15 minutes after the infusion to see how much of a factor rise we got. And then if it's a factor eight product, we would measure it again in six hours and then again in 12 hours to kind of assess the treatment that the patient's receiving and the response to the treatment. With factor IX products, we might do a little bit differently with it because it has a longer half-life. So we would, again, check a peak, which is a 15 minutes later, and then might do another level eight hours, and then next one maybe 24 hours later. So we do levels to guide us with how the patient's doing. Whereas with continuous infusions, what we usually do is do continuous infusion post-surgery and continue the patient on that dosage, but do factor levels. And I think I have also heard we kind of monitor it as if you're dosing a patient on heparin, where if the factor level has gone above 100%, we would hold the factor infusion for maybe a couple hours and then restart at a lower rate. So again, clotting factor levels is what helps guide us in managing patients' dosing up or down depending on where the patient is in the course of therapy. Yeah, those are great comments. I think the other thing I'd add on is we've got to be careful not to look just at the level in making our decisions. And we need to look at the patient and make sure that their CBC, they're not showing some sort of bleeding in another spot or such. Maybe even look at the wound or the patient's ability to get up and mobilize. How are they progressing in their care, depending on what kind of surgery we do. And every once in a while, sometimes I can actually hear, well, it's been going on for several weeks. Maybe we need to check for inhibitors or such because the the therapy's not working. So it seems like it's an important thing to assess these patients on a daily basis, if not more frequently. How often do you go around when your patient's like immediately post-operatively? How often would you think to, to assess their progress in management? And then downstream, after you've had some experience from them, how often do you think it's good to do follow-up uh, monitoring these patients? Post-surgery, what we usually do is once a patient's had hemostasis and is now on a continuous infusion of a factor product, the hematologist and the heme consult team will go see the patient post-procedure as soon as possible and start to kind of monitor the therapy and look at where a patient's infusion rate is and what the levels are, what the patient's bleeding status is, and make adjustments um, periodically. And we do send patients home on a transition them from a continuous infusion to a bolus intermittent infusion that they have at home to make sure that they are getting that three times a day or four times a day, depending on the severity of the surgery. We do try to see our patients within a week after discharge to make sure they have an appointment with their hematologist to assess the need for products and what further treatment they need to get from there on. 
So it sounds like one thing that's important for us is not only making sure that we meet the needs within their time in the hospital, but as what's becoming a very important area for pharmacists uh, as well as all healthcare pro providers is that transitional period. I think you brought up some really great points as far as making sure that we continue the therapy and the patient has the necessary supply and understands uh, exactly when they should be doing their infusions and who to notify of, the, of a problem. I think especially if we're the hospital that's not necessarily the hemophilia center mm -hmm. and we're doing this and then they're going to be going back to the care of their hematologist once we've uh, completed the surgical procedure such that brought them into our facility. I think those are great comments and great points. You know, one of the things is seeing that pharmacists definitely have expanding roles in managing patients with hemophilia. What have been some of your experiences just as being a pharmacist in this role, especially because this is really a focused part of your practice now? Coming to the institution where I practice right now, I find that there are many opportunities for improvement in order verification, in education amongst pharmacists, dispensing of these products. I feel that every time a order has been put in for a factor product, most pharmacists are going through package insert, looking through as to what what do I do, what what is the correct dose, what do I look for. Well, if the hematologist ordered it, I'm just going to dispense it because I don't know I don't know anything about it. So some of the challenges I've been facing in my role is to make sure that the pharmacist, the IV room technician, everybody is familiar and is not so hesitant in dispensing these products. And it's, it is really, in fact, that you can check the correct dose. You can look into the patient's profile and go through and see what is it that um, we're looking for. So what I have been working on and I at ASHP this uh, week, I've learned a lot of things about what other institutions are doing to make this an easier transition for their pharmacy department. And one of the really neat ideas I got was to create a factor product compendium that is kept in a IV room that where a pharmacist and a technician could look through and say, okay, I've been asked to dispense factor eight product, and this is what the dosing should be normally. Like, this is how I calculate it, and this is how I mix it, and this is the product I send. Um, and I thought that was a really great idea that I took from this week that I will be implementing at my institution to make sure that the pharmacists are more aware of what it is that they're dispensing. Yeah, and it's an interesting dilemma we face because hemophilia is not directly the main sole part of my practice, but part of it has evolved. You know, I started doing anticoagulation, and then you have these gaps in your system where there isn't necessarily a, a discipline or a pharmacist or, or a person identified to handle these problems. And then they look at, well, who does stuff in hematology? And sometimes anticoagulation or reversing bleeding on anticoagulant gives a perception that you're now the person that can help us with our hematology issues. And you might find yourself gravitating towards meeting these needs because you're probably the closest individual in the hospital. So it's nice knowing that you have experts like you out there and you're coming up with ideas to make our jobs easier because obviously we want to make sure we do the right thing, make sure it's safe for the patient. And I'm sure with electronic systems, as systems get developed out there, there'll be good tools for us to know. But I still learn that it still takes that eye-to-eye -eye experience with these diseases to know really what's right, making sure that we don't give out extra doses that are going to get wasted, 
communicating with the person who's driving the ordering process and be on the same page beforehand instead of trying to react where everybody's saying we should have been doing this and we haven't done it. What happened? So I think those are key things that we have to think about as pharmacists. And it's, it's obviously important to have a better understanding of what it is we're trying to tackle in our clinical management so that we can approach it in, in the most uh, feasible manner. What would you think, Serby, if, if I was a pharmacist at a small hospital that I have a patient who's just kind of rolled in and they said they're a hemophiliac? Uh, what are some brief key thoughts that you might have that I would think the first part of what I want to do to piece together what I should be considering uh, when they're going to start uh, wanting to approach these clotting factors? I may not even have some of these clotting factors in my hospital to use for these patients. That is a, a real-world scenario that we could deal with, and I think it's something that we do need to keep in mind. I do know that some institutions, factor products are actually kept at blood bank still, and some institutions that factor products are kept at a pharmacy level. So knowing your supply is key to this. So if you know a patient's coming in with a hemophilia disorder and you may need to provide them factor product, you would want to see if you have that supply or if you can easily attain it. You can, in some situations where factor products are not available for a hemophilia A patient, can try giving them FFP or cryoprecipitate and get their bleeding under control a little bit before you can provide them the factor product. So there are some treatments available, but we do really want to work with our purchaser. We really want to work with our neighboring hospitals to see if we can obtain the factor products to provide treatment and keeping communication open with your care provider to make sure that we have the appropriate product present when the treatment needs to begin. Yeah, it seems like it's important when we're in that situation to know what we don't have mm -hmm. and who has it. Mm -hmm. Maybe the phone number for the person to contact there and have arrangements in advance as far as how to transport drug, how to borrow, how to uh, arrange that their drug supply can be available to us for the needs of this emergent patient. So I think those are great key insights in trying to think about what I want to assess. And it's also important to try to make sure we have the right hemophilia diagnosis in the patient. And we may not have the labs that do it, but it's also knowing what lab in the area might be able to do those kind of studies and how long does it take for that result to come back. Because we're faced with the decision of do we manage the patient here or do we send the patient to a higher careful facility because of the issues of bleeding. Is it possible they're stable enough to transfer or do we have to just kind of work through the process until they are more stable? This concludes the third and last part of the roundtable discussion. A web-based continuing pharmacy education activity based on the mid-year symposium will be available in mid-February 2013. To access this activity and other educational opportunities on this topic, visit the web portal at www.ashpadvantage.com forward slash stop bleeding.